0: Good morning. Great, as usual, to be able to greet you this morning here on Facebook Live, over the internet. It's so awesome to be able to continue to do this, but I I gotta tell you, as I've said before, I am so looking forward to the day when we can be here together on Sunday mornings. So welcome to all of you who are with us this morning, uh, viewing today. My name is Glenn, one of the elders, pastors here at The Rock Church. It is my pleasure to open to God's word with you this morning. And so let's do that. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We'll be in verses 35 to 43 this morning. And believe it or not, we are going to finish another chapter today with this incredibly wonderful concluding text. Um, We're going to complete this and then also take a break for the summer and then come back in September, Lord willing, beginning with chapter 19. And I think, I really do, again, Lord willing, that we might finish this gospel in the fall, which would be wonderful. One thing that I want you to see this morning is is that it's, it's it's really clear that Luke has been, again, ordering this account very purposely, especially in chapter 18, how he's ordered the parables of Jesus and some of these other teachings. And they've all been working towards an orderly account and a theme that we see concluded here today as Jesus is taking his disciples with him on the road to Jerusalem. So this morning as we work through this passage, through this this story, I wanna ask you to be on the lookout for a few things in this passage uh, about this blind beggar. First, watch out for the relationships between the parables and the other stories that we've already been through in this chapter. It's quite unique and remarkable how this is ordered by Luke. Secondly, to the appeals that this blind beggar makes to Jesus. And then thirdly, the crowd's response. Again, interesting crowd response. Fourth, to Jesus' responses to the crowd and to the blind beggar. And then finally, the result and conclusion of this great chapter. Let's read beginning in verse 35 and then on to 43, and then I will pray one more time. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus... Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front, they rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. Let's pray and do just that. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We praise your holy name. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word and this text. Thank you for how it teaches us about who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord Jesus, yes, about your life and what you have certainly done for us. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you take these words this morning? Would you, would you open up our hearts and minds? Would you uh, reveal to us the beauty of this text and the story and the meaning behind it? And I pray that you would really encourage us and transform us in this day especially from these things. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name, amen. So I thought uh, maybe we'd begin this morning by, by taking a look at our five senses. <laughs> do, do you remember that? you remember uh, your biology class, science class in high school? There's the five senses, right? There is, of course, sight. There's what we see, and that's a sense that's been given to us by God, by the way. There's hearing. There's smell that comes from our nose. There's taste. And there's also touch, Five senses, and and I don't know if you're, you're aware of this, but those five senses, really, when they're all operating and the fact that we have all of them, gives us a sense of being truly whole. And they're very, very important to us. And so I wonder, have you ever considered that, how each one of these senses and all of them together not only make you whole, but how important they are to you? Have you thought about that? Maybe let me ask you, which of these senses you would be willing to live without if you had to pick just one right like think about that if someone said to you "You know, you've got to give up one which one would it be and then secondly which would be the one that you would be like no (laughs) i don't want to have to live my life without that sense especially of course understanding that you've been experiencing in a healthy way all of these senses most of your life Now, as you begin to really assess each one of these, as I've said, you will begin to realize that they all are important. They all contribute to a sense of being human, to be whole. Taking any one of them away, especially if you've always had them, would be very hard for you to live without. Hearing loss, complete loss of hearing, would be obviously very challenging when it comes to just basic communication. But, but also enjoyment of music, right, and voice, and the sounds in, in the world around you. It would be a great loss. I mean, sure, of course, we can learn to sign language. We, we can learn to read lips, but it would be a great loss. Now, smell is the one that you think, well, you know, I could probably, that would be maybe one that I could live without. But then, again, maybe we fail to realize the connection of smell to so many other things, especially taste. Those two in particular work so, um, um, what's the word? What's the, I'm struggling here, but uh, they, they're just, they work, overflow each other. They are symbiotic. That's the word I was thinking of, right? They really are important. And then there's, of course, touch. And again, that might be when you think, well, you know, I could maybe deal without that, Do live without that one. But then, can you imagine never experiencing human touch? the affection that comes through touch again for the rest of your life? Now, I know, at least for myself anyway, that without doubt, it's probably going to be, most of you would say, sight, seeing, is the one sense you wouldn't put on that list that could be taken away. No, that would be the one that you would not choose to live without. Um, Yes, you could learn, of course, to to get around. You could learn to get around and have a productive life. However, a complete loss of sight would be such a great loss. I think most of us would agree with that. As I was preparing for this message today, I was sitting in my back deck, I think it was on Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday night, and I'm looking out, uh, and and it was one of those, uh, you know, 200 days a year where we have a, uh, a complete sunshine all day with a blue sky, right? Okay, I exaggerated a little bit there, but it was one of those days, and I'm sitting on the deck, and I'm looking up, and the sky was like the, bl- uh, the kind of blue. You know what I mean if you live here. It's the kind of blue that we get to see here, not only because of uh, how blue the sky is when the sun is shining, but also because we, we have very little pollution or smog or anything in this community, so the blue is blue. It is such a beautiful, beautiful color to, to just be able to see and then, of course, next to that, I looked off to my side there and I, I saw the green of the cedar hedges and the trees in the background across the street. And, and the green is just, it's just incredible. But then as you look more deeply, you notice that? You get to see the hues and the greens go to almost blues and darker and browns and even black. And, you know, it, the, the hues and colors are just absolutely beautiful and fantastic. And then Again, I remembered as I was taking the time, which oftentimes we don't do enough of, do we, uh, to see this, it was coming to my heart and mind that, oh boy, (laughs) is sight ever important? I would never want to do without my sight. And then, of course, I saw life all around me. I, I saw, of course, the vegetation in our permaculture garden, which you all know about, right? Uh, but then I also saw animal life, the birds and the bugs even in, in the sky. I was appreciating them for a second, right? And then, of course, there was our dog Gracie. And then the chickens, right? We've got chickens. I don't know if you've, ever, you've heard of that. But we've got chickens. They were there. And I'm looking at this life, and I can see these things. And it's just it's beautiful. It's just remarkable. And then, of course, my wife comes walking out on the deck to, to uh, sit with me, and I see her. And trust me, that was a good sight to see, a beautiful sight. And then later in the day, Matt and Anna and our three granddaughters came for dinner and and we got to see them. And during this COVID time, it's been been rare that we get to get together and it's just good to see them and for them to look at us and look into our eyes and us into their eyes. And I was just marveling to myself as I was preparing for this, how precious seeing and sight is. So I wonder... Do you appreciate this gift, <laughs> this sense as, as much? I mean, again, if we don't take the time to look deeply into things, maybe we'd miss these things. But there are people in our world, you know, of course, in the science community who look very deeply into these things, right? They, they use powerful microscopes to look into our, our very cells and our DNA, and it's remarkable what they see, right? I mean, lately with the power they be able to see and the the work they'd be able to do, they can see that inside the very cells in our bodies that that there's actually these little tiny machines that are causing things to function and more and more and more scientists and those who can see those things and looking deeply into these things are seeing the magnificence of creation. It's incredible. And then there are others who look up into the sky, especially into the night sky, and they look deep into space. And again, they're just seeing the, the vastness and the size, and the immensity, and the power that's on display there. And it's amazing that the human eye can go and look at those things, especially if you look deeply into these things. Sadly, we also know this. Many will look into the, the science, into microscopes, and see into the DNA, and into the cell structure, and into the human body, and the, the magnificence, even the plant life, and all that, and, and then look in the sky, and, and somehow, somehow, miss the creator have that ability to see and still miss our creator god well we know from scripture paul records in romans chapter 1 that that's true he says in verse 19 and 20 for what can be known about god is plain to them because god has shown it to them For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, Paul records. And of course, a little earlier, he explains it by saying, even though we as human beings can see these things, many people suppress the truth and deny that there's a God. Still, sadly, they cannot see. And the question I have is, why? Why? Why not? Well, today, we're going to see sight in a whole other, wait for it, light. And I want to suggest to you that it is a kind of sight and a kind of seeing deeply that the vast majority of people in our world today do not have. So my question for you today is this. Do you have this kind of sight, kind of sight we're going to look into today? Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Have you had it recovered for you? Having had it recovered, is it getting a little dim maybe these days? Let's dive into our text for today. Your sermon title for today is, Jesus Restores Our Sight, All of Our Sight. Let me read verses 35 and 36 for you, and then we'll look at these and begin studying this passage today. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired, what does this mean? So we've seen for weeks now that they're on the road to Jerusalem, as mentioned. In last week's passage, Jesus actually said to his disciples, see, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, Jericho is a pretty small town. It's uh, maybe Actually, in that day, about the size of Squamish, if maybe not a little bit bigger. But it was a thriving town, and mostly due to the fact that it was one of the main arteries and roads to Jerusalem, which was just approximately 18 miles ahead, or maybe 30 kilometers so this, this location, if you think about it, is perfect for a blind beggar, right? And especially since it's approaching Passover. This guy's smart. He knows where to position himself, right? He knows that. Many Jews are making the pilgrimage throughout the whole year to Jerusalem, but also especially during the Passover. And they're also familiar with the, uh, the Jewish uh, call to give alms to the poor and to the blind. So he's in a perfect spot. We learn from Mark's gospel that he has a name. His name is Bartimaeus. And we also learned that his dad's name is Timaeus. So this is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And so this really personalizes it, doesn't it? And somebody asked, well, why doesn't Luke record his name? Well, Luke's more interested in really the point that's going to be made here. But Mark, he had a tendency of always recording things and and personalizing and naming things, especially when there was a miracle, because his attitude was, okay, I'm going to give you the names of these people, and when the miracle's been performed, you're going to be able to go and verify it. So go ahead, go into the town where Bartimaeus is from and and ask his father, Timaeus, was he blind? Ask his friend, is in a family? And oh, by the way, who healed him. And so that was Mark's uh, uh, method and what he did. So listen, let's what, do, what you and I do who have biological sight today. Let's, let's use our biological sight, which helps our imaginations, and let's, let's look back with our mind's eye into that day and see what's happening here. And so there's a crowd, which has been pretty typical of Jesus's ministry, following him. And yes, this is, look, see this. This is the real Jesus. This is not some mythical figure in some people's minds or even in our hearts and minds, someone we have to imagine, although we, we have a sense in our hearts that we know him and that he knows us. But they're, they can see him in the flesh, and they've seen what he's been doing. So please make sure you see that picture. Uh, they also see this blind man, just like many of us who walk downtown on the east side of Vancouver or any large uh, metropolitan city, and we see beggars, but we also see blind beggars however he cannot see any of them that's important right so being an astute beggar he knows his sense of hearing is a little bit more uh, intense because he's got to make up for his lack of seeing and sight right so he knows something's going on because of the increasing noise and excitement from the crowd and then Bartimaeus essentially asks hey guys hey guys help me here be my eyes. What's going on? Who's coming? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So, they tell him, this is interesting, we need to look at this, that it's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, now that actually tells us a lot about their theology. It tells us a lot about their understanding of who Jesus in fact is. They know details about Him, obviously, but see and hear this. They They don't really know who He is, do they? Or believe who He is. Somehow they don't see Him for who He truly is. So, I don't know if you remember back to Luke chapter 4, but I want to remind us of that this morning, when Jesus was asked to come back to His hometown, to His hometown synagogue, right? It came came time during that time in the synagogue where He, being the visitor, was asked to take the scroll, was given the opportunity to do the reading from the scroll on that day, and given the reading for the day, and they gave Him the scroll from Isaiah, which is remarkable that they gave Him that scroll on that day. Not remarkable, it was foreknowledge of God, and he read it and it said this, he stands up, Jesus stands up and he opens the scroll and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, if you remember, he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to them, and then he said something absolutely outrageous. Because when you read the scroll or read the text, you're supposed to expound on it. You're supposed to tell people what it means. What did Jesus say? He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. (laughs) Well, at first, they're, you know, while he's speaking and everything else, they're really, they're really proud of him. They're like, oh, this is a hometown boy, you know, made good. What a good and eloquent speaker. And then they heard this, and then they realized who he was, in fact, saying he was. And their mood quickly changed. They began going around, hey, wait a second. Isn't this just like Joseph's son? Like, who does this guy think he is? I mean, you know, this, this great speaker and orator. And my... He's just from Nazareth. He's just like one of the kids from around town. You know, we know who this guy is. And then it went from pride of hometown boy to the desire to kill him. And as we read in that passage, he was able to get away. And so, yes, this is just Jesus of Nazareth. And that's who the crowd tells the blind beggar he is. But then look. Look at the blind beggar's appeal. He says, Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is different. This appeal and the heart behind it behind it suggests that somehow Bartimaeus who cannot see physically sees Jesus not just as some guy from Nazareth, but potentially as the Messiah, as who he actually said he was, as the Son of God. Now, I think we should ask, we should ask this, was Bartimaeus there on that day in Nazareth in the synagogue? Well, probably not likely, but here's the other question. Has he heard the gospel? Has he heard the good news? Because some people who were there on that day and heard Jesus declare that believed him and they started following him. And they're with him to this day in Jericho on this day. So he, has, he, has he heard that the anointed one is here? And is that why he addresses Jesus this way? It's a good question. And I think quite likely is the reason why he's doing that. His appeal is heard Maybe not by Jesus as of yet, but by the crowd, right? The crowd heard him. And they say, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried out all the more. I love this guy. (laughs) He said, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, here's another connection. Look at this to a previous passage in Luke, right? I mean, do you remember when, just a few verses earlier, the people were bringing even infants to Jesus that He might bless them, that He might lay hands on them and and bestow a blessing on them? And and what did the disciples do at that time when they were bringing these children and infants to Jesus? They rebuked them, right? They said, what are you doing? Jesus is a busy man. He doesn't have time for things like this. Goodness, folks, this is Jesus. These are kids. They're not that important, well, you of course remember the lesson that Jesus taught them on that day, right? Jesus rebuked them back and he said, you too need to have faith like that of a child if you want to inherit the kingdom of God. So again, I've got to ask you, who do they think Jesus really is? This crowd. Were they there in Nazareth when he told everyone who he is and declared that one of the prophets that he was the Messiah? The proofs part, pardon me, that the proofs that he was the Messiah would be that he would bring recovery of sight to the blind as prophesied in Isaiah? Would they? Did they hear that? They actually tell Bartimaeus, literally, listen, in the Greek, it sounds harsh, but in the Greek they would have heard it this way. They're literally telling him, You shut up. That's pretty harsh, right? But that's the Greek language would suggest that. Thankfully, that didn't work. Not at all. Bartimaeus uh, just repeated his appeal, I would suggest with gusto, when he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now again, what does that remind you of, right, in this chapter so far that we've been through? Well, maybe the first parable in Luke 18, right? The persistent widow who had an adversary, maybe. But this man's appeal is more than a cry for justice, which was her cry. It's a cry for mercy from the son of David. So friends, this is the appeal of someone who knows who they are in light of who Jesus is. This is someone who knows that they are a sinner who desperately needs mercy and grace and who knows in whom they are can find it. Well, you know what? Now he's got Jesus' attention. And this is Jesus' response to the crowd and then to him. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Suffer the children, bring them to me. Don't you do that. Commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, Let me recover my sight. So honestly, how good is this? I I really would like to stop here at this point and spend more time on this today, but I really would have loved to stop at this point and if you were here and ask some of you here today, if you were here today with me, we can't do it because of this medium, but ask you, hey, some examples on a day-to-day basis. If you were able to ask Jesus in any given moment, Jesus, if you were able to hear him say, what can I do for you, what would it be? What would you ask Jesus to do for you at any given time, every time you are feeling discouraged, right, or losing heart or worried about all the usual suspects that we all worry about every day, let me ask you this week to maybe do this. Will you hear Jesus ask you, what do you want me, for, me to do for you right now, Glenn? <laughs> he's, he's waiting to ask that question. He is asking that question. It's such a beautiful question, and in typical Jesus style, it's also a qualifying question, right? We learned that from Rabbi Zacharias a few times during these texts where Jesus always asks questions and they're qualifying questions or clarifying questions. And so Bartimaeus' response is equally beautiful. Really, it is. His response is, Lord, let me recover my sight, my eyesight. Asking for mercy, listen, He was actually asking for grace. That's important for us to see. Calling Him Lord now, he is, or at that time, pardon me, He is acknowledging Him as Savior. So let's remember this. He's a blind beggar. He could have asked Jesus for money, for food, or that His disciples pick Him up and carry Him to Jerusalem just so that He can be with them, right? He doesn't do that though. And so what's important for us to see is he knew what he needed most, and he knew that he needed more than just physical healing. I believe it was his need also to see whom he had come to believe in so that he could get up, as we will see, and follow him. And so Jesus then said to him, very simply, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Jesus doesn't hesitate for a second. He's Jesus. You would expect that, right? But there's more going on here. Jesus has seen and heard enough to know that the process of regeneration has begun already in this man's heart. Jesus, of course, would know what that looks like, wouldn't he, being God, and himself in a relationship with the Holy Spirit? He would know exactly what that looked like, and so he's... in, in. a sense, really more than a sense, he affirms what is already happening to this man and in this man's heart and in his life. Recover your sight. Your your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, some have thought that this blind man is, is a perfect example of the persistent widow, right? He just, keeps, he just keeps pestering Jesus, you know, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. Well, I don't agree. I disagree with that, and and many commentators would too. One commentator I read said it best. He said it this way. He said, actually, what we're seeing is this. The blind man's understanding of who Jesus is is what feeds his persistent faith. And that's the point Jesus was actually making in the parable of the persistent widow, right? His point was, our God responds when we always pray in faith. He will respond because we pray in faith because we know who he is, that he's not like the unrighteous judge in that parable, that, but that our righteous heavenly father will give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. No, there's no coincidence here at all that in this passage we read that Bartimaeus cried out and then cried out all the more, and he cried out, in faith that's what God is looking for is for you and I to cry out in faith in these ways so just backing up a little bit here (laughs) have you ever wondered why one of the things that Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah was that he would restore sight to the blind I mean think about I did some some statistical uh, research and and it's it's less than two maybe three percent of the world's population that suffers from total blindness That's a a very small percentage of people in our world, Um, so why? In the Bible, we of course know this, and this is the big idea of this whole story. In the Bible, blindness is really a reference metaphorically to the fact that we're all born that way, actually. We're all suffering from spiritual blindness. We're born that way. It's one of the results of the fall, our rebellion against God, and what sin has, in fact, done to us. We know that, of course, we are born spiritually dead. We know that. We're born physically. We've got bodies that move, and we can, we've can, we got all the five senses. But spiritually, we are born dead. We are sinful from the day we let out our first cry. We are also born spiritually blind. And so when you consider that, you when you consider that, you may understand why Jesus has been repeatedly referring to the Pharisees in very unkind ways, right, and other religious people as well, as blind. In Matthew's gospel, he calls, them, he calls them, really, he calls them blind fools. He calls them blind men. He calls them, this is important, blind guides and blind Pharisees. Religious leaders, you're blind, is what he called them. They had the Word of God. They knew the law. They knew the prophecies about the coming Messiah and what the signs of his appearing would be. And in Matthew 23, he warns them about, he warns his disciples about these Pharisees, about these blind guides, when they noticed that they were getting angrier and angrier towards Jesus. His disciples were getting worried for Jesus. And then Jesus said this to them, let them alone, these blind guides. They are blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a pit. And so, of course, this is actually where we get in our language today, the blind leading the blind. It's from this actual verse. And frankly, if you think about that for a second, related to our very day that we're living in today, let me just ask one more question on that subject. How many blind are leading the blind through our current cultural crisis and moment? Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, a metropolitan and culturally diverse city, much like Vancouver today, wanting to encourage his disciples to keep going, to to go and preach the gospel and not lose heart, said these words, "'And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, of the unbelievers.'" to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And his message overall is, nonetheless, keep going. Keep preaching the gospel. A blind beggar might just stand up and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. So when, again, you look at Jesus' declaration over Bartimaeus, recover your sight, your faith has made you well, What you need to do, what we need to do, is actually see it in reverse. His faith was the result of the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration in his heart. His spiritual sight was restored first, which is why he calls out. And then Jesus added the blessing, the restoration of his physical sight. Our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ is always more concerned about the former. Of course he wants people who cannot see to see again. But the former is far more important. That you spiritually see who he is and what he has done for you. And that you place your faith and trust in him and him alone. That's what he came to set us free from from the bondage of sin, from captivity, from the oppression of our adversary, and to restore our very sight. This passage concludes these wonderful words about Bartimaeus, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. Bartimaeus, as we've already seen, I hope you will agree, knew what he needed most, and it was more than just the physical healing of his sight, but that would help, wouldn't it? He also knew that it would help him if he could see him who he had come to believe so that that he could follow him for the rest of his life, everywhere he was going, so that he could see where then he was going to be sent to preach the gospel and see others who needed to hear the Word and recover their sight. His life and his recovery of sight became a living testimony to who Jesus is in that day. And listen, to this day, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, is a witness and a testimony to you and I here today, which led in that day to God being glorified and all the people praising God as well. Friends, I hope and pray, I truly hope and pray that you, have, that you have had your sight restored. I hope that the words of the great classic hymn that we sang today are true for you. And when you sing it next, you will sing it anew. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch, a sinner like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now, now I really, truly see. You can have that sight today, friend. You can have that sight today. It'll change everything that you see with the eyes that you have physically in beautiful and stunning ways. But it'll also give you eyes to see your future and your eternity with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Christian, I encourage you to keep your eyes, your sight focused on Jesus in these days, on His word, as we all try to navigate this life and calling together in these days. Listen, we're called to be the light of the world. Where are? We're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be the light of the world. And therefore, since we have had our spiritual sight restored, we are to go into this world, and we are to be the guides. To those who are spiritually blind, we need to be the ones who help them see Jesus. Pray with me, would you?